put your mind to rest while listening as I read a story. A story full of adventure and fun. Feel yourself sinking into your pillow. Take a deep breath. Breathe it out. And count from three, two, one. Relax completely. episode I'm going to be reading chapter 19 September 10 Fort Greenhow Washington Sheldon did not come back for two days and everyone was without word of him at all and very worried Sarah thought Rose would go out of her mind missing him and wondering what new attack the government would take upon her. She considered Sheldon her own protection. Sarah was scarcely managing to stay sane herself. One moment she would think Sheldon's been placed under arrest. He's part of Rose's conspiracy. And the next... She tell herself he's going through planning sessions. They're figuring ways to keep Rose from sending out any messages. She felt isolated, more alone even than back on the farm when she'd had a fight with Betsy over some trifling thing and had no one but Ma to talk to. And Ma wasn't talking. She longed to visit Dr. Hammond. Oh, how she needed a friend. But to ask permission would be to admit weakness. And she wasn't supposed to contact him anyway. And then, on the second morning of Sheldon's absence, the little Negro boy from the confectioners appeared at the door once again with a cake for Sarah. Quickly she took it into the kitchen and when she was sure she was alone, knifed into it and drew out the message. Timothy Webster has been hanged for espionage in Richmond. It said, be careful. Greenhow has power. Timothy Webster, one of Pinkerton's most skilled operatives. Sarah's hands trembled as she ripped up the note. The news and lack of details plunged her into a deep despair. 
Yet, it was what she needed at the moment. It made her know that she was alone, all spies were, and if you were caught, no one stepped forward to help. How different is that from my life at home? She asked herself. I was alone there. Ma could never help me. That life prepared me for this. If I want to put any meaning on that life and all its unhappiness and deem it worth anything, I must take lessons from it. That afternoon, two new woman prisoners arrived, and with Sheldon gone, nobody was there to take charge. Sergeant Mark Stevens of the Sturgis Rifles looked to Sarah to settle them in. Just do the best you can until Sheldon gets back, he advised. Call if you need help. One prisoner was named Catherine Virginia Baxley, and the other would be known only as Mrs. Poole. Mrs. Baxley was 50 years old, but looked younger than Sarah's mother. She came into waving a paper. I have here a letter for Rose Greenhow from President Jeff Davis and a bag of nuts from his dining table. She waved the bag under Sarah's nose. I bring these nuts because Rose knows what President Davis's tastes are in food and she knows he loves it. Sarah's first impulse was to take the letter, but that would give her away. So she turned to the task at hand. Rose was on the stairway. Behind her were little Rose, Medora, and Lizzie Fitzgard, the child's nurse. Mrs. Poole, tall and thin, wearing black and spectacles, commenced yelling. I'll not stay in this place. I'm not to take any food given by the Yankee government. I'll starve. Give me my letter, Rose demanded, coming down the stairs and thrusting out her hand. Ah, ah, ah. First, say it. Catherine Virginia deemed. Are these not the nuts President Davis refers? Rose pushed the nuts aside roughly. The bag fell to the floor and they rolled in all directions. Look what you've done. Look what you've done to the nuts President Davis sent you. Have you no respect? You'll not get the letter until you pick them up. Get down on your knees and pick them up. Catherine Virginia yelled. 
are not sleep under one blanket provided by the Yankee government. Mrs. Poole was screaming, not one. Then, Rose and Catherine Virginia were tussling over the letter. They were slapping each other. Sarah knew this was beyond her abilities and was about to reach for the front doorknob when it opened and Sergeant Stevens stood there. He was very well built with red hair and blazing blue eyes. Quiet, he boomed. What's all this fussing? You're like a bunch of hens. Quiet, or I'll lock you all in your rooms. You haven't the authority, Rose turned from Catherine Virginia and screamed it into young Stephen's face. Immediately, he held his rifle at a slant in front of him, warning her off. Try it, lady, he told her in an icy tone. That even put Sarah on notice. I don't care how important you think you are. Try questioning my authority. Rose started to cry then. All of them did. Sarah found herself surrounded by bawling woman. Little Rose came down the stairs and ran to her mother to encircle her waist with her arms. I want Lieutenant Sheldon, Rose wailed. He's the only one who knows how to settle me. He'd give me whiskey now, he would. You'll get no whiskey from me, Stephen said, not cuddling either. Sarah here's been a good friend to you, waiting on your hand and foot. And now she's got herself a hen house of women, all demanding and troublesome. Is that all you think of her? Rose brought herself under control. She stopped crying and looked at Stevens over the handkerchief she held to her face. All right, I'll behave, she said, for you. Sarah was amazed. How could a woman who wielded such power turn in one instant into a little girl? Stephen stayed in the house from then on, posting another man at the door. He helped Sarah settle all the women into their rooms. Sarah was grateful to him, especially when supper was delivered and Mrs. Poole threw her food on the floor. I'll not eat any food supplied by the Yankee government, she said. Then you'll starve, Stevens told her. But he wouldn't let Sarah clean up the mess or Medora, who offered to do it. He made Mrs. Poole get buckets of water and rags and he stood over her 
until the floor in her room was spotless again. He had his work cut out for him. Rose pushed her way into the room to rant and rave at Mrs. Poole for destroying her good hardwood floors. Stevens made her leave. He ordered her out and she obeyed him. Sarah was beginning to think he should be the head of the Sturgis Rifles. We wouldn't be in the mess we're in now if he was, she decided, with Rose still sneaking out messages. That evening, when she brought a blanket to Mrs. Poole, the woman threw it at her. It stamped U.S. Can't you see it? How can I sleep under a blanket stamped like that? She asked. In that moment, Sarah determined that the poor woman was demented. The war had done it, she decided. Someday, if I don't mind myself, I'll be like that. A person has to be strong in life. A person must practice strength, even if they don't feel it. Who had said that to her? With dismay, Sarah recalled it had been her father. Never mind, he must have gotten it from somebody else, she told herself. Then she stood straight and proud. You may not wish to have this blanket, Mrs. Poole, but you will pick it up and hand it back to me. She used her most severe tone, the one she'd used on Ezekiel Conkle. Mrs. Poole bent to pick up the blanket and for a moment Sarah felt triumphant. But no, she wasn't picking it up. She was falling. Thump, she collapsed right onto the floor. Mrs. Poole had fainted. Sergeant Stevens, Sarah, all thought of strength, deserting her, went running, and the young sergeant came up the stairs with bayonet fixed. Mrs. Poole has fainted. He set his rifle aside in disgust, picked up Mrs. Poole, sat her in a chair, and sent Sarah for water and cold cloths for her head. Then he and Sarah helped her to the bed. I'll stay and watch, he said. You go about your business. Sometimes this is a ruse to make the guards think they are helpless. Sarah thanked him and ran from the room. She'd heard Sheldon's voice downstairs. She was sure of it. Sheldon came in with a bouquet of late summer roses. He handed them to Sarah. 
Shall I put them in Rose's room? She asked. They're for you, he said. These are for Rose. He handed a bag to Sarah. Yawn. The roses were wrapped in brown paper at the stems. Sarah stood speechless. Why are the roses for me? And why more yarn for Rose, who uses it to send messages? So we can find out how she does it, he answered. But is that what you say when a young man gives you flowers, Sarah? She thought of the wildflowers that day so long ago now. In Ezekiel Kunkel's one hand and the knife he held in the other with which he threatened to slash her face and she did not answer. Sheldon stripped off his white gloves and undid the top button of his tunic. There for you because I like you and because you helped me that day with the diary. I've been promoted. He grinned at her with that grin that tore Sarah's heart open. I'm a captain now, Miss Dawson, and you will kindly address me as one. Sarah could not believe it. Promoted? She croaked. Yes, because you turned in the diary? In part, Sarah was not only surprised, she was put out. She had received nothing, not even word from her superiors. For her work of finding the diary, neither from Pinkerton nor from Kate, she swallowed her jealousy, but tears came to her eyes at the injustice of it. Of course, I told them your part in it, he said, reading her thoughts. I told them I couldn't have done it without you, and that you should be rewarded somehow. But, quite honestly, they do not believe you are trustworthy. They think you are working for Rose. They, of course, was the provost marshal's office. Didn't these government agencies work together? Sarah wondered. Or is Sheldon just saying that to make her reveal herself? Or maybe they did work together, only not telling Sheldon who she was. And what about the notes? She'd sent Sheldon, taken from Rose, and which he put in his pocket. Was he working for Rose and blaming the messages Rose sneaked out on Sarah? I'm sorry, Sarah. Sheldon put his hand on her shoulder, gently. His touch was like branding of a hot poker to her. Yet, at the same time, she felt chilled. 
I wanted to give you credit, and I shall before this is over, I promise. But it would be a lot easier if you were honest with me, and you haven't been, you know. So, that was it. He was still fishing. Sarah swallowed her tears and took the flowers into the kitchen to find a vase. She brought the yarn upstairs to Rose. Sheldon bought it for your tapestry. A large piece of tapestry, half finished, was stretched on a frame in the corner. It was a hunting scene from the south. Rose did beautiful needlework. Sarah had to give her that. Dear boy, Rose said, I'm going to send this to a friend of mine. Who? Sarah asked distractedly. Oh, Rose said lightly, someone down south. Not the same friend I sent the bookmark to, though. That was just a small piece. You saw it. I sent that to another friend in the south. This is much more detailed. Sarah had been setting the vase on a Duncan Fife table in the corner, and it was then that she was struck with a brilliant thought, so far-fetched, that she thought lightning had come into the room. She stood up straight and managed to arrange her face in a friendly smile. Your work is beautiful, she said. She remembered the bookmark then. A Sturgis guard had taken it out for the mailing. When was that? After Rose discovered her diary had been taken, that's when. Carelessly, she wandered over to the tapestry on the stand. This is very detailed, she agreed. Yes, Rose said, and now, thanks to Sheldon, I can put more colours in this as it calls for. The bookmark had only red, green and yellow. I told Shelton what colours I wanted and he purchased them for me. That's why I like him. So many more colours, Sarah commented. She scowled. Something in her mind was just eluding her like the fox depicted in the tapestry eluded the hounds. But of course, it's like a work of art tapestry, like a fine painting that means different things to different people. And I consider myself the artist. You are that, Sarah said. You are that. I have to go and give you credit, ma'am. Are those dreadful new ladies quiet now? Yes, they've gone to sleep. Sheldon gave them some whiskey. 
Rose laughed. I have a headache from their carrying on. Mark my words, Catherine Virginia will rave from morning to night and drive you all mad. The letter wasn't from Jefferson Davis. Here, take a look at it yourself. From an old friend in Richmond, completely harmless. She took the letter and scanned it. It had seemed harmless. The woman was saying how scarce shoe leather already was in Richmond. Could Rose send her a pair of shoes for her ten-year-old? Of course, Sarah minded. It could be a code. Code, yes. That's what spies use. Kate had told her. She felt elation so much that it made her head dizzy. She's a nonity, that Catherine Virginia. Rose was saying, she wants to seem important. She's been accused of sending two hundred guns south. Pythal. They'll both take the oath of allegiance to the United States and be out of here in two days. Mark my words. A clock downstairs struck the hour ten. You'd best get some sleep, Sarah advised Rose. Here, I'll turn back your bed. There's dark clouds on the horizon. I think... We'll have rain this night. Good, Rose said. Maybe the air will finally clear. It's cleared already, Sarah thought, as she helped Rose out of her dress and brought over her silken robe. Oh, you don't know how clear the air has suddenly become. Then... On the pretense of fetching herself a cup of tea before bed and coming right back, she asked Rose if she wanted any. The answer was no. Sarah, filled with exultation at what she had just discovered, could scarce keep herself from running from the room. Sadly, all good things must come to an end, so I bid you good night, sleep tight, and don't let the bed bugs bite.